Amen. Thanks, Pastor Dave. All right. Hey, we all good? Yeah? It's the end of the day. Like, all right. Wrap it up, dude. So, um, so we will. Um, yeah, so this last session, we're going to talk about uh, cultural engagement for just a, a few minutes. And um, so, again, thank you so much for your time today, for participating, listening, grinning, thumbs downing every once in a while. If you don't like it, that's fine, too. But seriously, thank you for your time today. It's been really awesome being with you all. So uh, we'll begin right here with quickly with a definition of culture, since we're going to talk about cultural engagement. Uh, here's something Paul Hebert, a uh, missiologist, wrote a book called Anthropological Insights for Missionaries. He says this. He defines culture as the more or less integrated systems of ideas, feelings, and values, and their associated patterns of behavior and products shared by a group of people. Fair definition of culture. And when people define culture, just so you know, it can go in lots of different directions. This one seems to be a simple one to go, yeah, that, that, that pretty much sums up uh, what we're about. And we want to engage our cultures effectively with the gospel uh, because God wants to engage culture with the gospel. In fact, he did it when he became incarnate in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Chuck Kraft, who wrote one of the books that are back there, I think that uh, we have today, uh, in a book called Christianity in Culture, he says this. This is something pretty incredible. God in Jesus became so much a part of a specific human context that many never even recognized that he'd come from somewhere else. That ever, <laughs> ever think about that? Like Jesus is walking down the street, the son of God, and they're like, Another dude, like not just another dude, that was Jesus, and you missed him because he's so good at being human. So, um, so God is a missionary God, and we we take our cue from God being a missionary God that He embodied a specific place and time and language. He adopted specific customs of eating, drinking, sleeping, work patterns. Everything that Jesus did actually represented his context, his culture. Things that we need to be thinking about as Christians is do we do that or are we stuck in some other place or time? So as Christians, do you dress, think, act, talk, and use language in a way that, that makes sense to those that, that don't necessarily follow Jesus? That is, are we able to take our theology and, and really speak it in a way that actually translates, that it contextualizes to one another? This, this by the way, the act and endeavor the event of contextualization is not just for the sake of ongoing mission, but it is actually, it is a labor of love. To, to intentionally go about embodying the gospel in a way and translating and communicating the gospel in a way that people get it, that is a loving action. It's loving. And so that's what we want to be. So over in Acts 17, if you have a Bible, go there. Uh, if not, um, we'll read it here, but in Acts 17, it gives us an incredible glimpse. Luke is writing, and he gives us an incredible glimpse into the, the, the fire that's within the Apostle Paul's heart. And it's key for us to kind of take note here and take an example from the Apostle Paul here. So listen to what he says. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is hanging out, waiting on some friends in town. He's in Athens, and it's the famous Mars Hill, right, where he... Lifts up his voice and preaches and engages. But listen, he's hanging out, waiting on his friends, a band of other missionaries that are coming to town. Paul's standing around. And look at what you read in verse 16. We'll just read verse 16 and then over in verse 22. It says this. His, Paul's, spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens... I perceive that. And then he begins to preach. This right here gives you a window into what it means to begin to immediately engage a culture with the gospel. Notice it says this. The, the word here that's, that, give, that gives it away is he's being perceptive. Men of Athens. So first he acknowledges who's around. 
what city he's in, and starts going, here's what I perceive. I've noticed some things. And you know what he notices, right? He notices there are uh, uh, gods and idols and shrines erected all over. The, I, I perceive that you guys are religious. And he goes into that and he starts unpacking. I see that you guys are into God or gods or something spiritual. I have a few things I'd like to say about that. I even noticed that you have one temple here, one shrine set up to the unknown God. I know him. <laughs> it's like, like Buddy the Elf. Like, like, you remember that, Buddy the Elf? Yeah. I know Santa. I know him. All right, so just hit me. It's the afternoon, and I have ADD, and I had a short black coffee. All right, so, um, but it, it go, he gives it away, Paul, or Luke tells us that Paul's saying, I perceive this. I'm noticing some things. As Christians, if you want to be effective in, with engaging people with the gospel, it's about first and foremost being perceptive. What do you perceive around you? Like, who's moving into your city? Why are they moving in? Who's moving out? Why are they moving out? Who are the actors? The, the musicians, the artists, the teachers, the athletes. Who are the people that are actually shaping the way we think, feel, behave? Who are the people that are shaping our actual values regarding politics, regarding finance, regarding sex and sexuality? Who are the people and why are we agreeing with them? What do you perceive? What are people excited about? You see, like in a, in a place like Seattle, you know, where I'm headed back to, and, 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 and even here, like, you, when you go to church, you can see people that are just, you can tell them, like, you know, Jesus died for your sin and rose from the dead, and it's, it's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. And then they go to a Seahawks game. It's an American football team. You go to a Seahawks game, and people have painted their faces they have no clothes on. They're drunk and running around in a parking lot just freaking out. It's the Hawks. Go out. Right there. Lose their minds. And, the, and you guys know what the maniacs look like at, at your events here. Same thing. Just like, yeah, they're all losing their minds. They're passionate. They're excited. They've, they're, they're seeing something that they really value. One word that the Bible uses to describe this kind of response is the word glory. So, like, uh, I met a girl earlier that went to the University of Georgia. Um, and in, in Georgia, we have, this is a rabbit trail, but please forgive me. I'm just going to, I'll get back. So, in Georgia, we have the Georgia Bulldogs football team. We all re wear red. Um, if you're wearing a shirt, if the dudes, uh, or you have a bulldog painted on you or whatever. And the stadium packs out with 90,000 people every weekend. And um, when they run to do the kickoff, grown men and women pursuing higher education, mind you, they run up to the ball and they go, go dogs, when they kick the ball. And then as soon as the ball's in the air, like, go dogs, sick them. And everybody starts barking like dogs. The people that will be doing surgery on you in a matter of days, barking like dogs. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And then they sing glory, glory to old Georgia. Painted red, going insane. Glory captivated. So why talk about this? Here's why. When you are consumed with something, and when a people are consumed with something they're passionate about, it contextualizes itself in a way that tells the rest of the world, here's what we're about. Make sense? Paul starts saying, I perceive these things, that you're religious, that you have these values, so on, going on. So we know the Great Commission. Jesus said it here. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. Kevin Van Hooser, he's a, a theologian, uh, 
in Illinois. He says this. He's, he wrote a book uh, called Everyday Theology, How to Read Cultural Texts and Interpret Trends. This is what he calls the great omission. An inability to interpret the signs of the times is to be guilty of what we might call the great omission. Hear that again. An inability to interpret what's going on around you is the great omission. So we have to start taking notes on certain things and engaging effectively. So, we are not called to hide from, flee from, or ignore, but actually engage the world that Jesus desperately wants to save. And so, uh, the Christian culture in America, it might be similar here in Australia, I, I guess by some, some standards, some conversations I've had with Pastor Matt, there are some definitely some overlap. Um, but the culture in America, for sure, uh, we've uh, adopted a form of asceticism, kind of withdrawing from culture altogether because, because it's icky, <laughs> it's, it's dirty, it's unclean, it's messy, it's, it, it messes up our little polished community. Um, so we have adopted, and our churches have adopted a form of asceticism most of the time uh, because they just watch us pastors do it. You know, doing pastor stuff all the time. Like, always at Bible study. Always visiting people. Always, you know, but not actually engaging the neighborhood and actually having friends who are unbelievers. So, like, when I sit down with pastor friends of mine, and they, we actually do have these conversations from time to time going, yeah, we're just not reaching people. Like, well, who are you friends with? Pastor? And oftentimes, like, they go through their list, and like, a lot, of, a lot of church, a lot of church going on. It's like, well, people are following you, and they might be just emulating and copying your life. So we want to be careful not to disengage from the world and become part of a weird subculture. Um, and you know what I'm talking about. So it leads to isolation. And by the way, if we isolate ourselves, we become inoculated to the gospel. We've heard this term before, right? What inoculation really is. All it is is getting a little bit of a virus injected into your system, build up your immunity to it, so that when you're actually exposed to the virus later... You won't get sick, hopefully. The idea is the same, the same happens in, in church regularly. That you can hear enough of it long enough to where we become immune. You see, it's easy for us if you buy into the, I'm not going to engage my culture. Uh, you can become part of a subculture and you can live your entire life missing opportunity after opportunity to introduce people who are far from Jesus to Jesus. And we can do it easily if you just stay in the Christian subculture. Listen, you can grow up in a Christian home, go to a Christian college, meet a Christian girl, have a Christian wedding, go to a Christian seminary, get a Christian job at a Christian church, hang out with Christian friends, call that community, go on Christian restaurant, go to Christian restaurants, go on Christian cruises, play Christian basketball at our Christian life centers. Watch t Christian TV programs, play Christian video games, read Christian magazines, listen to Christian music, wear Christian t-shirts, don't uh, Christian book, use Christian bookmarks, enjoy Christian breath mints, shop at Christian bookstores, download Christian ringtones, be reminded by Christian bracelets to drop your kids off at Christian daycare, and on and on it can go. You know what I'm talking about. Everything can become so Christian that we miss the entire world that's not Christian. And that's an indictment on those who have been told by Jesus post-resurrection, now go. Go. And it's not just go to church. He did not say go to church and do more Christian stuff. So, but he certainly made a big deal out of the church. He gave his life for the church, created the church. He loves the church. I'm not hating on church. We plant churches. Um, however, he says go, not stay, hide, retreat, and be an ascetic. So we're supposed to go. Um, so when it comes to engaging our culture, 
Are we therefore then to commend everything in the culture or condemn it? Because it seems to be Christians seem to fall off on either side of the horse when it comes to that. You can commend everything in culture. Like, yeah, uh, it's all good. It's all good. God is love, so it's all good. doesn't matter what you do, what you believe, how you live. It's all good. God, love, grace, it's great. Commend everything in the culture. Or we can become the cranky, angry people who condemn everything. Like, how dare you shop at the halal market? How dare you? Uh, I'm Truly, and become so judgmental, so removed that we condemn literally everything. Your secular music, we don't like your pub, we don't like your... We, and so we need to be careful that we don't commend everything, but also we need to be careful not to condemn everything either because God doesn't condemn everything in culture. Our aim is to live as redeemed people within culture and person by person that meets Jesus, culture begins to change. Like what Pastor Dave was talking about a minute ago, that happens over time with the genas and the trends and so on. This takes time. Um, if you want to be effective in engaging culture, you've got to be basic, you've got to be patient enough to watch a seed grow. That's how the gospel works, right? That's even the metaphor we get from the book itself, right? It's a seed planted, grows, big tree, right? All the, You've got to be patient enough to watch the seed grow. Which means you have long, one more time around the block, conversation after conversation, hangout after hangout, engaging once again, watching the seed grow. So, Jesus said it this way in, in John 17 as he was praying. He says, uh, the world has hated them as he's in his prayer with the Father. He says, the world has hated them because they're not of the world. So that's how you see yourself, by the way, as a Christian. You're not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out. Isn't that weird? <laughs> they don't belong here, but don't take them out either. What a bizarre prayer. It's like, and half of our prayers are like, Jesus, get me out of here. But his prayer, listen, just as I'm not of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. So it's our responsibility to seek the redemption of the world. So here's some things, just some practical things that I want to give you. Just think about as I've observed uh, engaging culture. Um, okay, let's talk about technology for a moment. Um, Pastor summarizing the gospel into 140 characters or less for Twitter for more pastor friends to read should not be confused with being missional. Point A. <laughs> Zing. That'll do it. Like, um, that's just playing around on Twitter. That shouldn't actually all be confused with being missional. That is, your tweets can be encouraging to other friends who are following you. Um, but the, the unbelievers in your life, they don't think Tim Keller's cool. <laughs> they don't care. In fact, you might be running them off. If you get a, right, a really good tweet in there, it'll definitely offend them. Like, so when it comes to technology... Christians, seriously, we, we need to be reminded of, of this, is that God didn't just call us to go sit in the coffee shop, put your earbuds in, and hide behind a computer and write or just read blogs. But that it becomes real, incarnate among people. So, so, so think, as you use technology, as you use technology, and I'm not anti-technology by any stretch, um, would you say on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, would you say what you're putting out there to a room full of people who don't know Jesus? And would you say it that way? Would you use those words? Would it sound that canned or generic or cheap or cliche or whatever? 
just think as we put things online as Christians, because the whole world is online, so I'm not anti being online by any means, but as we engage, just think, is this how we should be doing it? Are what we're saying, does that make sense? So, yeah. You should still follow Tim Keller on Twitter, by the way. All right, so um, when it comes to those who labor in, like, preaching, teaching, and leading in, in, um, in, a, in those kind of capacities in particular in the church, um, here's one on missional preaching. Preach to those who you want to reach, not those who you already have. So for the pastors and those who actually labor in the actual preaching of the word on Sunday morning in particular, if you're wondering... Why aren't more unbelievers, why aren't more atheists, agnostics, and other people of other faiths actually dipping in from time to time in church? It might be because you never preach to them. If you want unbelievers in the room, then start addressing the unbelievers' skepticisms, doubt, and problems with our faith. Going, and start going, some of you might be an atheist in here. And start speaking to those. That way, when the Christians hear that, they're going, I actually have a few atheist friends. Um, Maybe they'll come with me because my pastor from time to time does talk about some of these things from the pulpit. So think about, for those who actually do the preaching, teaching, preach to those who you want to reach, not just the people that are already there. Um, another point when it comes to just leading in general, it, Paul puts it out as an actual requirement in 1 Timothy 3.7. It says this, he, an elder, must be well thought of by outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. That's quite the statement. <laughs> Jeez. Um, you ever do that reading your Bible? Like, whoa, turn the page. <laughs> That's one for sure. But seriously, like, this is serious. Um, but listen to what Paul even says about those who, like, for those in church planting, preach. An elder, a pastor, actually has to be well thought of by outsiders. And it's just as same as up there as being husband of one wife, not drunk, able to preach and teach and make disciples. He follows, he puts friend of sinners, well thought of by outsiders, in the same category. But that can easily get on down the line, just kind of push down like, well, I think he can preach and teach and he's not too drunk all the time. I get, you know, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well thought of by outsiders? That's huge for cultural engagement. Spending time, like, for pastors, the local baristas, the ones in the barbershop and the tattoo parlor and the pubs and at the sports, uh, where unbelievers ought to go, yeah, I'm not a Christian, but that guy, that guy's awesome. I do like that guy. Well thought of. He's kind, he's patient, yeah, he's, he's around, he knows me, he knows my wife, he knows my kids. Like, he's a, yeah, well thought of, he asks me how I'm doing, he actually keeps up with me. Yeah, well thought of. No, I don't follow his Jesus, but that's huge for cultural engagement. Just well thought of. Which is really complicated for pastors who get up and then say things like, you know, the only way to heaven is through Jesus. Like, people don't think well of that, but that's different. They don't like that theology, but people can still get on with you. The gospel itself is quite offensive. We don't have to be offensive people. The gospel can be the, do the offending, for sure. You're like, yeah, totally, I read the book, get it. Um, so, so do outsiders, do lost people actually think well of you? Do they even know you? Do they even know you? I was talking about that last time. My wife and I had to look through our whole life and go, now, not only do they not think well of me, they don't even think of me because they don't even know me because I'm always at church. Yeah, all right. So um, another point to think about this with engaging, uh, living in the wake of what some call, you know, relational evangelism, right, where we build friendship with people over time and then, uh, share the gospel. Um, here's the weird thing. If you're not up front with the gospel that's already transformed you, that's going to be really weird like eight months into your friendship. Well, hey, man, so here's the thing. <laughs> and if you can get on eight months without them noticing you being a Christian, you suck as a Christian. All right. I'm, I'm sorry. 
I really tried to stop that one. But you, you see what I'm saying. You know when it's just coming out and you're just like, I'm just going to say it. There it is. It's like toothpaste. Once it's out of the, it's not going back in the tube. So, all right. So, but when it comes to relational evangelism in particular, and when we befriend sinners, and we befriend those who are far from God, you actually have to pull the trigger. You actually have to say, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. I live this way. I'm going to roll with you whether you ever confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior or not. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I am your friend. But I'm going to be me. And I'm not going to just hide the gospel from you in the name of preserving a friendship. And by the way, hiding the gospel in the name of preserving a friendship is called plastic. You don't even have a real friendship to begin with. Right? When it comes to engaging culture, you got to ask questions like, what's this going to cost me? Exactly. So really consider the great cost of when it comes, when you stop talking about reaching lost people and actually start getting your hands dirty and reaching lost people. Uh, Brennan Manning, here's another one, sorry, he's my favorite. Um, Brennan says this in the Ragamuffin Gospel. The ministry of evangelization is an extraordinary opportunity of showing gratitude. Listen to how he describes this. This is so great. It's an extraordinary opportunity of showing gratitude to Jesus by passing on his gospel of grace to others. However, the conversion by concussion method with one sledgehammer blow of the Bible after another, (laughs) you're like, oh, yeah, I met that guy, Um, betrays a basic disrespect for the dignity of the other, and is utterly alien to the gospel imperative to bear witness. To evangelize a person is to say to him or her, you too are loved by God in the Lord Jesus. And not only, this is, this is, this is contextualizing, this is awesome. And not only to say it, but to really think it and, and relate it to the man or woman so that they can sense it. This is what it means to announce the good news. But that becomes possible only by offering the person your friendship, a friendship that is real, unselfish, without condescension, full of confidence and profound esteem. That's when we're doing evangelism. That's when we're contextualizing gospel. That's when we're engaging people is that you're not just handing out proposition after proposition about Jesus, but they can sense it, they feel it, they know it when you're around. And you're communicating the gospel. You're communicating it not with an angry scowl like get your cosmological argument right. Like It's not this like, no. When people, they can sense your Tears are communicating your heart, your compassion for them to meet your father. Like that they actually feel it. That they're not a project to be worked on. They're not a person just to get in the church so you can see your church grow more. That's not a baptism number. That's not a tithe check. That's nothing. It's a human being that's in desperate need of reconciliation with the God who is crazy about them, in love with them, loved them enough to give his only son that they could have the relationship with the father that the son has. And to communicate it in a way that they sense it. That they go, at the end of the day, they go, you know, even if they don't become a Christian, I'm not a Christian, but that girl that guy, they, they, they seriously believe this. I don't feel like I'm a project to them. I, I, I'm not an agenda. So ask, what's, what's this going to cost? What kind of inconvenience will this cause my life when I start engaging? Comfort, my reputation, my time, my money, my emotions, things like that all go out the window. For example, comfort. Um, Being around pagans, in case you haven't noticed, we'll just call them pagans. It's just like, golly, man. (laughs) It's like, whatever. Being around pagans, unbelievers, 
will undoubtedly make you uncomfortable in many ways. They don't worship your God. They worship their gods. It'll make you uncomfortable. Their gods being sex, money, power, vanity, violence, whatever it is. It's uncomfortable to hear someone else sing the praises of their Savior. And to sit there and go, I hear you. In fact, my flesh still resonates with that. Talk about uncomfortable. I mean, basically, it's like the office with Michael Scott always just saying. Maybe you guys watch the UK version over here. I don't know. But you know how Michael Scott's always saying something and makes that awkward moment. You're just like, gosh, would you just go to commercial, please? Like, seeing. That's the Christian life. It's just that long, awkward, like, (laughs) I believe this and it's not going away. Yeah. Reputation, it costs you your reputation. The gospel demands that we can our reputations for the sake of Jesus. So, if you can your reputation, it gets really tricky. Because if you start hanging out with the outsiders, the unclean, the unbelievers, those people, oftentimes the, the Christians will go, well, that's... That's interesting. Notice you've been hanging out with so-and-so. like, And you'll get criticism sometimes from your own brothers and sisters. And then it goes the other way. When you're hanging out with the unbelievers and you tell them something about Jesus, you'll get criticism from there. Your reputation becomes one that's, it sounds more like Jesus. Friend of sinners, completely holy. so let's see keep going Um, it costs time lost people uh, don't seem to work on our 9 to 5 schedule Um, that is nobody's life falls apart at a convenient hour like they call you at 2am when they're drunk and need a ride They call you because they're in a fight and it's gotten violent. And you have to come take the kids somewhere. People that that don't follow Jesus. Some even that claim to follow him. But those that don't follow Jesus, they don't understand boundaries between the opposite sex. They don't understand how important your time is with your family. Um, lost people on Sunday morning didn't go to church like we did. And so when they call you for a barbecue or to go play bocce ball or whatever on Saturday or Sunday afternoon, you go. It costs these weird hours. And everybody that serves at any capacity in the ministry knows this to be true. We had something else going on. This person's life blew up and we respond because we love them. So it, it, it costs time, it costs, it costs money to engage culture. Like what does it actually, what's this going to cost me financially? To be hanging out with people regularly, going out to eat, going to concerts, going to games, going to events. Can I afford it? How about emotionally? To engage culture, it is going to cost you emotionally. Big time. To hear stories about rape, of abuse, of abandonment, neglect, drug usage, horror stories. I mean, we all know these, right? That it actually costs to engage. That's why so many of us don't want to engage because we don't want to hear the real world. So... When it comes to engaging culture, ask questions like, am I emotionally or theologically healthy enough to even begin doing this? This doesn't mean you put engagement on hold for the rest of your life. But truly, if you're a victim of rape, 
and then to go, I'm going to go reach so-and-sos, and I know that so-and-so has been through this horrific experience. Have you worked through that with a therapist for and maybe years and years, and maybe you never even need to sit down with some of these people because of the trauma that it stirs up, and you might end up doing more damage than good. So There's a lot to think through when we go, let's engage culture. It's not clean, neat, tidy, sterile stuff. It's really messy. Am I emotionally, am I mentally, am I theologically healthy enough to do this? Or do I charge into a place and get pulled to the ground? Like, like the bar story, for example. By God's grace, I didn't end up drunk with some other woman. Right? I mean, that's a completely unbelieving environment. So you're going, how did, how did that turn from that into a church? The grace of God. And, and I need to remind you, too, my wife had my back. My friends had my back. People were praying and asking me regularly, how's it going at work? Because that's an environment that is not committed to holiness. So, think about this. Family support. When it comes to engaging your culture. Does your family support you hanging out with these kinds of people? Do they understand? Do they get it? Or are they annoyed by it? Another thing, think about the baggage that you're going to hear from somebody else's life. But also remember, you bring baggage to that relationship too. So, when it comes to the church in general, like church staff, um, church leaders in particular, the staff and gospel community leaders and so on, they need, they need to see you living missionally and they need to be living in a way that engages culture. That is, regularly be asking for stories. What's happening in the church? Who else is meeting Jesus? Who else is Jesus saving? Um, our churches oftentimes are not on mission because A, they're either copying the leaders or B, they expect only the pastor to do all the, the engaging and neglecting the whole priesthood of believers thing. Or C, they're waiting on a program to be rolled out and put on a website before we actually engage. We've got to make this look slick before we actually do it. Think, why are we off mission? Um, start doing your background studies, your demographic studies. Like, what's their background? Like, in the Bible Belt right now, like, race is a big deal. It has been forever. What's the age of the people, the race? Um, how do I get over these hurdles? How do I cross these boundaries? Where do people in my community hang out? Bars, country clubs, YMCA, skate park, music venues. Um, once in those environments, start asking, why is Jesus not appealing here? And what makes him look inferior to whatever they're worshiping? Why is Jesus not appealing here? Other things we need to think about when it comes to engaging culture is mentoring our missionaries. So here's one. Uh, so for pastors or community group leaders, when you're actually, when you have an unbeliever in your life that's a friend of yours that you're actively pursuing to engage them with the gospel, bring people along with you, a person that you're mentoring, a person that you're discipling, and bring them along to the coffee shop, to the pub, to the ball game, and let that person that you're mentoring watch how you engage with unbelievers. And then on your drive home, go, hey, did you notice how when we got into this part of the night and we talked about X, Y, did you notice how when they said this, this is how we replied. Did mentor missionaries. Oftentimes, missionary, we don't just learn how to do this stuff. We're taught it by hanging out with people who are on mission, that are actually doing it. So being intentional with this really matters. When it comes to gathering on Sundays, questions to think about. Um, are, are we meeting at an appropriate time? <laughs> like, do people... Are people out of bed this early or what? Like, do we meet at the right time, the place, the music, the venue, the location? All this stuff matters. Is our church meeting in a place where people know where it is that they can get to? Or are we, are we so far off that, that we're, do, we're doing weird stuff that just like runs people off? How about the people that are like even greeting at the door? Are they like the grumps? 
Like, like, welcome to church today. It's going to be terrible. Come on in. The coffee's awful. Like, that guy can't greet at the door. Like, yeah, amen. You're like, God, I hate that guy. Yeah, you know. All right, so. Yeah. So can we change some things that we're doing without obviously compromising the message? Does our music, our dress, our decor, our time, does it communicate that we're here to engage? Or does it communicate we're here just to maintain? Are we here to engage or actually maintain? The Sunday gathered, when we scatter throughout the weeks, your missional communities, gospel communities, whatever you call them, are they missional? Are they open to unbelievers? Do you strategically take times for uh, barbecues, hangouts, in which you can just invite anybody over just to befriend others? Like take a week off like once a month or once every eight weeks, however you all do it, and break it off and just go, you know what? Yes, we've studied our Bibles for the last seven weeks. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw a party in our neighborhood. That's it. We're just going to invite everybody. That's all we're going to do. And we're not going to open our Bibles and we're not going to run them off. We're actually going to just say, hey, would you like to party? Yes. <laughs> so um, when it comes to engaging culture, start thinking, what are the needs that we can meet right now as a body, right here in our neighborhood? That thinking about the Amazon and other places around the world, yes, amen, let's do that too. But let's think about what's going on in our neighborhood right now. And it's easy. The community will let you know their needs. Going to public, like schools, showing up. What do you need? Do you need supplies? Do we need books? Do we need uh, tutors for after school to help with learning how to read? And things like that. What do you need? Can we meet some of those needs? When your city is throwing a party or a big festival is coming to town, hey, our church, we'd like to help. We'll, we'll do trash. We'll call, like, we'll call cabs for drunk people. We'll, we'll help get people home safely. Like, let us help. So asking those kinds of questions when there's like fall festivals going on and things like that. Like what's going on and what's something that we can actually do? And no, you don't have to wear your so-and-so t-shirt saying we're from so-and-so church so that instantly makes everybody go weird it's weird y'all wearing neon green it's weird thanks for helping but that part was weird uh just, you know you think it so all right so yeah so looking around thinking about what what can we do like when your city's having market days things like that how can we how can we just get involved and help that Christians aren't just here to consume our city. We're here to love our city, serve our city, engage our city, help our city. The city ought to be looking at the church going, these are the absolutely the most helpful people in the world. Every time we need something done, they're there. They're, they're engaged. They're excited about this. That we actually want to see not only our churches thrive, we want to see our cities thrive. We want to see life happen and start seeing the kingdom come. So when we're exegeting, this is basically what we're talking about. We're talking about exegeting our culture. We're studying our culture, the trends of our culture, and not having a bunker mentality. So when, it talks, when we're talking about being perceptive, here's just some questions I'll ask you, and then we'll, we'll wrap up because I'm tired, and I know you're all tired. And it's hot. All right, here we go. Here's about 20 questions or so. So here you are. Just 20. What's happening in my city? Who is moving into my city? Who is moving out of my city? Why are these people moving in? Why are those people moving out? What buildings are going up in my city? By the way, the, the buildings that are going up are telling you what the city values. The buildings that are actually going up. Like, yeah, you're right. That went out of business. This came in. This is what my city values. If you want some tips on the people who know the most about your city, by the way, if you really want to start asking questions, um, your grocery store clerk knows a ton. That person talks to everybody all day. Your bank clerk knows everybody, and they see where money's going and what's coming in. Those people will tell you 
all kinds of stuff. Um, there's one more. Oh, uh, uh, contractors, builders in your city. When you see new condos going up and things like that, some go, wow, who's coming in? Why? Wow, okay, so this is going to be a condo? What? All right, how many people are moving in? Ah, oh, 2,000. Wow, okay, when are they going to be here? They'll be open in 24 months. Wow, okay, what's this going to cost? Well, it's going to be, you know, $2,400 a month for one bedroom. <laughs> or $2,400 a week in this place. Uh, but like, right? And start asking. You're asking questions about the people that are coming. And so you start praying right then. Going, okay, so a lot of singles are coming in, or, or, or a lot of families are coming in. All right, so I'm going to go back to my church, and we're going to start praying that God will help us get ready to start engaging families with the gospel. That means we got, we got to go ahead and get ready for kids' ministry, because there's families coming, and God sent us here, so they're all, they're all going to get saved, and they're all coming to our church. we got to get ready for this. But you start, start thinking like that. You start thinking... Acts 17, where Paul tells us that we've, God ordained the times and the places in which we live. Meaning your address is not a mistake. God planted you there because he intends for you to engage. And your next door neighbor is not an accident. Your next door neighbor is right there. If they're, look, of all the people in the world that get to meet God, which is like just a few of us, if God plants you right here and this guy lives next door, I'm willing to bank on this guy next door just might be elect after all. That God actually wants to reach those far from him. So um, what buildings are going up? What's coming down? What buildings are coming down? How many schools are in my city? How many people actually live in my city? What's the crime rate like currently in my city? Not where it was 20 years ago. Does my city actually value education, sports, the arts? What are the goals of my city? You can go and learn these things just on the Chamber of Commerce websites. What are the beliefs of my city? What's the history of my city? Who founded my city? How long has it been here? How long has my city been a city? At what times, what days does everything come alive in my city? What time is everything dead? This all matters for how you're going to engage. People that don't know Jesus, if you're like, man, I just never meet anybody. Well, if you're the creeper walking around the street at 2 a.m., a, stop being the creeper. and go. Yeah, all right, anyway. And then start asking, what do people love about my city? Do I love what people love about my city? What do people despise about my city? What's the media saying about my city? What, what do people in my city put their hope in? Who's hurting in my city? Uh, who's succeeding in my city? Who's thriving in my city? These are things you start asking, just being perceptive. So... Um, I'll close with this one quick thing. Um, I grew up skateboarding, and um, I learned a lot about missions and missional engagement through skateboarding later. I figured this out. Um, so when you see, like, this would be a great city to skate. Um, and so I grew up street skating. And so as a skater, you, you, you skate ledges, you know, stairs, gaps, whatever. Like, you see skateboarders skating. Okay. Everything has complete potential to, be, to become something amazing all of a sudden. Everybody else, it's a parking lot. For us, we're about to have a great time. Um, and someone could end up in the hospital. <laughs> um, when it comes to being missionally engaged, you're walking through your city like that skateboarder. Looking everywhere for potential for the gospel to go forward. That is, you see a, a, a person walking down the street and you're going, that's potential. God's ordained them to be on the earth at the same time with me. And I met Jesus, so there's potential right here. We could do something here. You see places going, that venue, that'd make a great church. This, this abandoned building right here that's just rotten and dilapidated, this would be great to serve our city. Maybe we could open a shelter here. This, this, this space right here, this would make great space for, for tutoring kids after school. In fact, I know somebody that could actually work that out. right? And you start thinking, going, how can we start engaging our city and see everything being just charged with potential for people to meet Jesus? So with that being said, I'll pray.
and then uh, we'll worship some, right? And Pastor Matt will close us. So thank you guys so much for listening today, truly. Um, Father, we love you and we pray that you would glorify your name again and again. Father, thank you for the amazing work that you're doing here in Australia and over in New Zealand. God, thank you for the thousands of churches that you have planted, Holy Spirit. And we're praying for tens of thousands more to increase here in Sydney, across Australia, and, and, and just honestly throughout the world. We, Lord, we long for your kingdom to come. We long for your will to be done. We pray that you would raise up preachers, teachers, church planters, pastors, pastors, missionaries to be sent into our cities with the good news of the gospel. Help us to think clearly, to articulate ourselves well, that we might be filled with passion and, and, and compassion for those who don't know you. Father, thank you that we are not employees, but that rather we are your children sent into the world with the, uh, with the great message of introducing people to our great Father. God, we ask that our churches would be filled with light, life, and love. That we would be people of conviction. People that walk with you, Lord Jesus. That we are consumed with seeing your name lifted up. That we would be people that are consumed with our Bibles. That we would be people consumed with those coming to know you. That we would be driven to be deeper rooted in you and more fruitful in our discipleship. God, we pray for our churches that we would be communities that are open, that are vulnerable, that are repentant, that are accepting, that are embracing, and that still we hold true to what we see revealed in Scripture. God, we ask that we see church after church planted, rooted, flourish, and then another be planted. And do it again and again for your namesake and for your glory. We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.